0: This is Bulls Beat on Bulls Unlimited. Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With
1: today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. A lot to get you set for this weekend. We'll give you some sound bites from Alex Skolish, Todd Orlando, And Joel Gordon, as the Bulls get set to take on Navy Saturday, will be on the air at 2 o'clock with our full 90-minute pregame show, and the kickoff officially set for 3.32. It's a CBS Sports Network telecast, but of course, if you are watching it, you'll have it on mute and be listening to Bulls Unlimited for our full coverage. I know you do it that way. It's the only way to do it. Hey, the teams have only played three times in their history. The Only time in Tampa was an amazing first half. If you forgot about that, we'll remind you of that, and you'll get to listen to it. We'll replay it a couple times. Not expecting the same kind of outburst from the offense, but tell you what, the offense looked pretty good last week, so you never know. So look forward to hearing that. We'll also be live on the air tonight at 6 o'clock from the Yingling Center as volleyball goes up against UAB. We'll give you a little bit of a preview of that one in our second block. Last night did not go well. For the women's soccer team got outplayed by east carolina it was the battle for first place in the american athletic conference east division and it was the first time since they joined the american athletic conference together that the east carolina pirates beat the bulls or even tied them much less beat them in women's soccer and i'll give you my thoughts and a couple highlights from that game speaking of giving my thoughts and a couple of highlights went to Both men's and women's basketball practice over the last couple of days, and I'll share some viewpoints with you. I'm sure you're curious about some of the newcomers on both teams, and we'll tell you what I saw. Not everything, and I can give away any secrets, but uh, certainly some visuals on some players that maybe you guys haven't necessarily seen. We also have tennis going on. Actually, this weekend, the women's squad is hosting the Bedford Cup, and what is that? First of all, we'll tell you, and secondly, I know two people are ready to come watch it because on Wednesday, as we were talking to the offensive and defensive coordinators for our pregame show, and by the way, do not miss Joel Gordon and Todd Orlando. They were both excellent. We'll give you some of what they told the media in their Zoom call on this show, but you'll have to listen to our pregame show. Joel Gordon will come on the air with us. Not live, obviously, as I'm just telling you it was recorded. That'll be at around 240 and then Todd Orlando will be after three o'clock as we get set for the 3.30 kickoff. And of course, Alex Golish with Jim Lauk. Why is it only a 90-minute pregame? We kind of mentioned this before change we made this year. Basically, the whole idea of going a full two hours on the pregame is, you know, for people to be listening on the way to the game and get fired up. And we've been, I think, doing a pretty good job of that on the home contests, especially getting Alex Golish. Right off the bus as the team arrives and you get the band playing in the background and the fans there. We really can't do that for the road game. So if you would be the one that would be listening from 1.30 to 2 this Saturday, I'm sorry. But that's kind of our new approach this year to go 90 minutes with the pregame show. We still do our famous Get Crazy segment with myself and Jim Lighthall and Joey Johnston and Sam Barrington with all of our crazy predictions. We definitely have a lot of coverage for you. Just condensed from two hours to 90 minutes. For the road games. Anyway, lost my train of thought. Two people asked me on Wednesday, Hey, where's the tennis tournament? And I'm thinking, You mean the one that starts on Friday? (laughs) They were wanting to get tickets, which you don't have to, it's free. More on tennis at the end of the show. A little bit from Coach Gullish from the show Bullseye. Hopefully, you are keen to this. And we debuted it for you right here on the channel, Thursday morning, 7, 8, and 9. Now it's elsewhere where you can watch it on YouTube if you like. By the way, on the radio version of the show, we don't do all of what you can see on the video, including the highlight package, which, you know, includes the TV calls, which we're not interested in giving you that, but also a really cool thing that Kaylee Cottrell, who's one of my co-hosts, BJ Daniels being the other, behind the scenes look at what goes on putting together the video packages at Raymond James Stadium. It is a big operation, trust me. Also, you don't want to miss the beginning of the show when BJ Daniels gives us the recap of his time last weekend in Seattle, the 10-year anniversary reunion, really, of the championship team. He got to hold the Super Bowl. I asked him about Marshawn Lynch, gave us some really cool insight on that. So, yeah, we'll be replaying the show on the audio side, but if you want to peep it on the South Florida Football YouTube page. It is available as well on gousfbulls.com. But here's the chunk of what Coach Golish had to say about this Navy team that the Bulls have never beaten in Annapolis. Now they've only played them a couple times. Navy enters this one with a one and two record, but certainly gave Memphis in a wild game all it could handle. We'll talk more about that after we hear from Coach Golish.
2: I think the biggest thing with this Navy team is that they're uber disciplined, as you would assume they would be. Really tough, really hard-nosed. They're in the right place at the right time on both sides of the ball yeah. and special teams as well. So when you're playing a team that's uber disciplined, uber tough, like you got to be uber disciplined, right. uber tough. And so that, that it's the truth. They watch the film. You know, they matchup-wise, you see what it looks like, good or bad or or neutral. They know the matchups. Now it's a matter of us executing at a high clip really different offensively so the discipline this week um going in starting with yesterday morning like every minute of every day there's something that you can teach and coach and get better at that's a challenge to to both sides of the ball defensively they're unique too man it's a high pressure bunch of movement it's different than than what you're maybe used to seeing sometimes especially when when you do what we do on offense And it'll be interesting to see their response to what we do on offense, but you're right on the limited possessions. It's the same way we went into last week. We knew we were gonna be limited possessions. And like the first half of that Rice game, you look back and you're like, man, first of all, that happened really quick. And second of all, you had four opportunities. Like, man, four opportunities. You better go take advantage of every single one. So I think it'll be similar in that sense we got to get off the field defensively that's the the big challenge to us we had four opportunities on defense on fourth downs to get off the field on saturday offensively you got to convert third downs and you got to keep drives alive yeah. so you got to be able to take more chances and you've got to be able to Convert points and sometimes three is is not detrimental, but it's certainly a kick in the in, <laughs> yeah. in the backside to take three mm. points. So we got to be uber disciplined. We got to be really, really aggressive when we get opportunities to be aggressive. But what they do on offense, if you're not disciplined in what you do, they're house calls. Right. So Every single play matters, every all eleven being locked in at the same time is really, really important. And it's it's different. So anytime it's different, you gotta pour more into it to make sure that the end result is what you want.
1: And again, that is from this week's Bullseye episode, which hopefully you watched. If you didn't, you'll have plenty of chances to catch it. I would say make sure you pay attention to Sean Atkins as well, telling us how he nearly quit football at a young age and His grandfather, who played at the University of Kentucky, is the one who got him back on the field. He was a much better soccer player, or so he thought. And it really is a fascinating look into not just him, but his teammate Naeem Simmons and how he broke out last week and how those guys are our best buds, basically. And, well, we love Sean Atkins. And Billy Mole also had a lot of great stuff to say on the program, getting set to be inducted into the Tulane Athletics Hall of Fame this year. Now, this Navy team started off a little bit overmatched in Dublin, Ireland, against Notre Dame, 42-3 in the first game of the football season. They played in the first game of the football season, Navy, and yet they are one of just six teams in the country that only have three games played. Because they spaced it out after that. Two weeks later, they took on Wagner. Naeem Simmons will be looking for some reverse revenge on his old school, and that was 24-20. And then they gave Memphis all they could handle. 28-24 was that final score, and it was a wild one. And Navy ended up really the the middle of the game. They were up 14-7, and they decided to go for it on fourth and one to make it a two-score game, presumably at halftime. Didn't convert. Instead, Memphis went down and tied it to the half. And then Navy started the second half with an onside kick, and that didn't work, and Memphis scored again. But Navy had an answer. Memphis went up 28-21. And after three straight three and outs, Navy actually changed quarterbacks from senior Ty Lavatai to a sophomore who did not play, obviously, as a freshman, Blake Horvath, and he led them to a field goal, but only seven minutes remained, and it was 28-24. This is a Memphis team that's pretty good, by the way, and a lot of people are saying is a big-time candidate to go to a New Year's Six type of bowl game. Well, after that, twice it looked like Memphis had it. There was a 69-yard run, but the Navy... Defender Rayon Lane knocked the ball out at the one-yard line. And then Memphis's outstanding quarterback, Seth Hennigan, fumbled the handoff. And so Navy gets the ball to midfield and fumbles. And so that it's over, right? But then Navy intercepts it and gets it to midfield. So they actually got down, down 28-24 to the Memphis 13-yard line. In other words, this Navy team is pretty competitive, more than that. And they can pass the ball as well, according to... Todd Orlando, the defensive coordinator of the Bulls.
0: They'll do your traditional uh, triple, and then they'll do uh, different formations. Um, they're not afraid to throw the football either. It's very, very unique and, uh, you know, makes it challenging, especially now that they've, you know, they had a bye week. So they've had a week and a half to prepare for us, and we get, uh, you know, traditional six days to get ready for them. So big challenge. Um, love how hard uh, their players play. Um they're running backs, especially. It's been a while since I've seen guys, that, you know, um, run as violently as they do. So it's going to be a challenge. It comes down to being disciplined and um, doing your job. I hate to sound cliche on it, but anytime you're dealing with, you know, the aspects of somebody on a dive, somebody on a QB and, and pitch, and um, depending on what you want to do schematically, that's that's the discipline part. The actual physicality part, yeah, there's, a, there's absolutely a piece to that. And then we're going to have to be great tackling guys one-on-one because anytime you get into uh, triple, it's, you know, one-on-one matchup. So I think the key to this game is just us being disciplined all the way through our plan and us being really good with our eyes. Uh, I know that's what a lot of people will say, but it's the truth. Um, you know, they do have the play action passes off of it. Um, and I told you beforehand, it's like these backs run really, really hard. I'm so impressed with what some of these guys are. Uh, you know, just how violent they run. And that's just not versus some of the guys. Uh, They're doing it versus Notre Dame.
1: You know, you hear everybody mentioning the discipline thing almost to an apologetic effect, saying it sounds cliche against Navy, but it really is something. They are always one of the fewest penalized teams in the country, and the Bulls are kind of on the wrong end of that particular spectrum. Navy commits just three penalties per game, which is second in the country to the Army. And if you're wondering, Air Force is in the top 10. Actually, makes you feel pretty good about everything, right? But not in the case of worrying about the Bulls this week. The Bulls are in the bottom five in the country in penalty yards per game, and third worst in actual penalties per game, 9.8. As we bring in offensive coordinator Joel Gordon, whose unit has not been the only one to commit those, but it seems like more often than you'd prefer, there are... First and long, second and long, due to penalties.
3: You know, some penalties are definitely a discipline and a focus issue. You know, some penalties are going to happen. You know, it's a physical game. You know, holding, for example. You know, those guys are those guys are blocking their butts off, you know, for him when Byron's in the pocket. And then he leaves the pocket, and it's a matter of us learning to, hey, he's scrambling now. My technique's going to have to change here a little bit, and I can't called for holding you know when that happens but it's uh we have been much improved um from the beginning in terms of the silly mistakes from week one up until now man the the silly lack of discipline mistakes we've improved on greatly but you know all of them we have to continue to understand like man why is this happening and fix it but our guys are playing smart they're playing smart football but there's some unique things that have happened in particular last week on the holding penalties that we gotta we gotta learn from and we can't let it show up again it'll kill us right and it's the message to all of them for us to do what we want to do it's it's gotta stop absolutely yeah we talk about it man every every Monday we get in there and we watch the last game um as an offense as much as we can and we point out all those things and we have to fix them, you know, whatever the mistakes are, we have to fix them. And we've made a lot of mistakes in a month. So we've had a lot to clean up. And it's a process of going to practice, fixing it, going to practice, fixing it, being in a game situation again. And, oh man, here's that situation that I messed up a week ago or two weeks ago, and I got to get it right now. So it's all a process, but our guys are, man, it's it's not for a lack of trying. Like, we just have to learn faster and fix them.
1: Other voice you heard there, of course, is Joey Johnston. Joey spoke with Byron Brown, incidentally, while we're telling you who to listen for on our pregame show. And so that'll be, again, part of our condensed 30 minutes exclusive to Bulls Unlimited portion of the pregame show. That's 2 to 2.30, and the Byron Brown interview should hit right at around 2.20. Don't miss it. Speaking of, you know, go ahead and not spill the beans here because Joel Gordon speaks to me about a lot of things, but he's really great on Byron Brown. I thought this as part of the zoom call was a pretty telling anecdote on the Bulls quarterback.
3: Yeah, he's awesome. He's been from the first time I talked to him when I called him before I'd ever met him in person. Sometimes you call people, they don't answer. Sometimes it takes them six times to answer. He picks up the phone every single time right off the bat. and I don't know what that means. Obviously, he's got his phone on him. Yeah, he's got his phone on him. But that's like a microcosm of who he is. He's just consistent. Like, you know exactly what you're going to get every single day. And you know what? Like, I've probably taken it for granted a little bit, like thinking about the whole of the last eight months. His process is all about the things that matter. He does things the right way. He prepares. He trains he's is in the training room when he needs to he's a really good student like he's very consistent and balanced through everything that he does and that's not easy to do you know he's very disciplined and how he goes about his business and there's no doubt that when you stack those kind of days on top of each other eventually the production on the other end and the success on the other end is is going to happen.
1: Should be a pregame show worth tuning into especially the pageantry that is a Navy home football game. Actually their website and their game notes do a pretty good job of letting you know exactly what the run up to the kickoff is going to be. They even note that it could be pushed back 5 minutes if the first game on CBS Sports Network is running a little long but the planned kickoff time is at 3:32. Also will be a special day For Michael Kelly, whose father was a Navy man, and you can hear Michael Kelly live on the field with Jim Lauk right at around 250 as part of our pregame show. There is one stat that Joel Gordon's offense, you might not realize, is last in the country, and of course, they had a lot of positive plays last week, and a lot of these negative plays came against Alabama, but they're actually last by a half a TFL of allowing tackles for loss at nine and a quarter per game. But again, not so many last week, a lot against Alabama. A lot more positive than negative plays, that is for sure. That's how we like to do it here. Now, on the women's soccer broadcast last night, unfortunately, I wasn't trying to be negative, but you could just see how it was going. And it wasn't going to go in the Bulls' favor. Credit to East Carolina. We'll tell you what happened. And the Bulls now have an uphill climb if they want to win their division Eight teams make the AAC Women's Soccer Tournament out of the 12, so that's not a concern yet, but definitely not the performance you wanted at home in a 2-0 loss to East Carolina. The men's team has a tough match tonight. Volleyball is hosting a two-win UAB, so you like the chances for the Bulls. Also, tennis going on and my basketball recaps from the practices that I saw over the last two days. That's all next on Bulls Beat. Back to the Beat. Bulls beat continues with Derek Sharp after this show ends and a couple more times we'll replay the only time that and I know the game is not at Raymond James Stadium this week but the only time that the Bulls beat Navy was at Raymond James and it was memorable don't miss the first half of the replay second half you can miss if you want to because the Bulls scored 42 points in the first half and just 10 the rest of the way they almost went a perfect seven for seven in scintillating fashion on offense, scored on their first six drives, and three of the first four took seventy seconds or less. One was a one-play, eighty-five yard run by Marlon Mack. But they also got down to the one yard line at the end of the half and fumbled or else it would have been forty-nine. It was forty-two to fourteen instead, ended up being fifty-two to forty-five as former Newsom Wolf, Will Worth got their offense going, but the Bulls kind of had a lead to deal with, so let's hope it's similar this Saturday. Something tells me it won't be that lopsided, but whatever happens, we'll have it for you. We had women's soccer last night on the channel. We'll give you a recap and a preview of what's coming up for men's soccer tonight and the match that we'll have for you live, volleyball, but yeah, I was able to attend the women's basketball practice on Wednesday, and then yesterday with Amir Abdulrahim's first workout for the men's squad. We'll get there in a second. And if you are familiar with the women's basketball program, you know who they have coming back. One of the nation's top three-point shooters in Sammy Puesis, point guard Ariel Wilson. Good to see Maria. Alvarez, back in her familiar role of shooting the threes, actually saw her make a couple two-point shots. I think those are going to be your starting guards, at least for the start. Marina Asensio, who was fantastic as a freshman backup point guard, will definitely push. Carla Brito, who looks like she's in incredible shape, will be probably the power forward, and I'm guessing Emma Johansson. Bulls are definitely going to miss Dulce fankham underneath. You can't replace her, and I don't think the Bulls are going to look for too much scoring out of the five position. Or really, I should say too much scoring underneath because Emma Johansson, who plays the five, can pop out and hit the three. But Evelyn Shipholt, I think, is going to be your backup center. She's a transfer from Cal. Now, she did start pretty much every game for the Bears last year in her senior season. Good defensive player, and you can tell she has some leadership qualities. And it's funny, every year you get to see some of these freshmen from Europe. You can see the talent, and you can tell they're trying to feel their way. Although, i got to tell you, Judith Valero looks like she's very confident, and she can shoot the lights out. She is one of the two Judits that have been added to the roster. They now have four Spaniards and two named Judith. Just to easily tell them apart, Valero wears number 11 and is a guard, and Judith Oliva is a 6'2 power forward. I think Danny Gonzalez might not necessarily always play the four because you also have Laura Imputu, a 6'2 transfer from Eastern Florida State College, who looks like a solid board getter. And again, she can finish around the rim, I think. If she and Shipholt can just do that, along with Valero... Bulls aren't going to ask for their post players to score a bunch, just be able to clean up some rebounds and score reliably. Another freshman guard they call Vicky, Vittoria Blessi from Italy. You could tell she could shoot the ball. Romy Levy, she's actually tallest on the team along with Johansson at six foot three, but she's more of a wing and showed surprising handle. So good group. I know Jose Fernandez is fond of his squad and things are going to be really good, and I will not disagree with that. Now, I only saw the last 45 minutes of Amir Abdurahim's first practice, and I know they practiced offense, but not a single cent of it while I was there. It was conditioning. It was defense. I think defense is going to be a calling card of this team, and don't worry about pressure free throws. I happened to witness at the end where the free throws were for whether the team was going to run extra gassers or not, and... Well, they're in shape, but they're going to have to get in better shape, and I think that was the message, one of them, from a very confident, very in control, and very impressive coach, Abdur Rahim. Now, again, I didn't get to see them you know, shoot anything but free throws from an offensive standpoint, so too early to tell you what I think is going to happen there. However, just from body language and leadership looks, Brandon Stroud is going to be a guy you guys are a fan of. Six-foot-six guard, and he's one of the transfers from Kennesaw State. Well, you can just tell was kind of letting the guys know what they should expect. It was not an easy practice. I'm sure the Men's Basketball Social Media Council put out some of the stuff from Amir Abdurahim. A lot of people were there to watch from the department. Everyone's excited about the men's basketball squad. For what it's worth in the conditioning stuff that I saw, one guy that was always leading the pack, 5'10", 160-pound freshman guard from New York, Jaden Reed, very cool and casual Doesn't look like he gets tired. Chris Youngblood, another of the Kennesaw State Trier that came here, boy, you could see he is an all-conference sort, a little confident, actually a lot confident, and that's all right. Not in a cocky way, but you can see just by his body language, he knows he's kind of one of the guys for this team, Jose Placer, transfer from UNF, who can shoot the three. I think they're going to be guard heavy. I don't know what his alignment's going to be, what his starting lineup's going to be, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's, in effect, a three-guard lineup, and like I was just talking about with the women's team. I don't know if you're going to ask for a bunch of scoring to be done underneath, but a lot of defense and a lot more names to tell you about as we progress along. Last night on Bulls Unlimited, it was a rough one for women's soccer. We told you they were tied with East Carolina for the AAC East Division lead, both teams with a win and a tie. Both teams feeling like their last time out felt like more of a loss than it was a tie for the Bulls. It was because... They scored a goal that wasn't called a goal. No need to rehash it. It was the truth. But on East Carolina's side, they had given up a goal late and tied UAB. They were headed for their third straight one nothing win, and they would have been, well, undefeated in conference. And they've done it with defense this year. They entered this game 6-2-3, and three, and the two losses were low-scoring, 2 nothing losses to really high-scoring teams, Florida and Duke. So you knew that their goalkeeper, Maeve English, their experienced defense led by, wow, is she awesome. Jasmine Ferguson, just a physical force. She also happened to lead them in goals with three coming up from corner kicks. And Lucy Fazakerly, who is a freshman from England, who, again, these guys were really impressive. But it wasn't just the back line. It was all over the field, and it was from the beginning. East Carolina did not let the Bulls get out of their own end. It's something they're used to being able to control with their defense and then move it up the field. Didn't happen last night. Bulls did play pretty well at the beginning of the second half and had many chances to tie it, but the first half really decided the fate of this game. Some near goals for East Carolina, and they finally break through. Not a lot of highlights here, but this you'll be able to tell by the way it's going is how it, well, was going last night, and the Pirates were on the better side. Oh, that's a good steal, though, by Schnell. And the recent goal scorer, what a save by Gayak. That was tremendous and was headed on target. She almost Not had one the there, the but Gayak was very solid, was had the near post covered. Sends it far post there from the left side. Ferguson goes up for a header, tries to put it into the realm of play, and it is, oh, headed off the crossbar by Georgia Brown. That was expertly done by the Pirates, but Brown saves the day. East Carolina came this close to scoring. Calling that this East Carolina team has played in Gainesville and in Durham against some high-level competition. Coming to Tampa is not going to bother them whatsoever. And you can tell they're not bothered. Another good corner kick goes far post this time. And Gajak stretches, punch it away. And Mark Vartsen clears it, but only briefly out of play. Sider's going to try and get there if she can. But Abbott gets there first for East Carolina to restart. Oh, that's a good header by Brown. It was headed right to Ferguson, their three-goal score, but now other side. That's a good ball. That's got to go in. It does, absolutely. And East Carolina finally breaks through. That was Lucy Fazakerly on the assist by Holbrook, and they had that coming. The Bulls have been on their heels for this entire first half, and there was no keeping that out of the net. That was off of their fourth corner kick, the Bulls who the last time East Carolina came to Tampa had 11 corner kicks to their two, 27 shots to their six, not the case on Thursday night. Pirates much better defensively, and again, their shots came off of pressing the Bulls into turnovers, and that was off their fourth corner kick. They outshot the Bulls 5-3 in the second half. Final count was 9-7 Bulls because they had to get the offense going. And If you were listening, you saw me point out that Denise Shelty brown and her coaching staff stayed on the field for a good four or five minutes after the first half ended trying to change their tactics, and they didn't really change the lineup too much. Corey Peace and Sarita Thurton did their best to spark the offense, and there were about three would-be chances, but the Bulls just were not connecting. Pirates actually had a lot more chances to score in this game and deserved the win, frankly. Two-nothing was the final score. They got a penalty kick, which was kind of an iffy call. Jasmine Ferguson, who, again, is their leading scorer all off of coming up on corner kicks, and this was one. She got shoved in the back for sure, but the ball was over her head, A. She wasn't going to get to it. B, a lot of that stuff was getting let go, but when you don't score a goal, it really doesn't matter that the other team might have gotten a benefit from a whistle. To make it 2-0, that indeed is the final score. So the Bulls get jumped by Charlotte, which played last place Temple. The Bulls now tied with FAU, which was tied up by UAB for third in the division. Their next match is against UAB on the road. And the Blazers have gone three wins into American play and have tied them all. So that will not be easy. Bulls will probably work on their offensive attack. It seems to jump up at the wrong times. They, in their last three games, have been shut out. And then, of course, scored the two goals against Gonzaga, but that was in a five-minute stretch to start off the second half. Now, they needed that stretch to win the game, granted, but basically three games, and you take away those five minutes and no goals for the squad, which is 5-5-1. Five, five, and one. And like the men, most likely are going to have to go the full conference tournament championship route to get into the NCAA tournament. I know we said that about the men last year, but... They went on a five-match winning streak, and, well, the schedule is there for that to happen. If they can start it tonight against FIU, but, wow, what a difficult stretch for Bob Butehorn's team. FIU comes in 4-2-2. Two, two. They've got a win at Oregon State. They've got a tie at UCF 2-2 two two, where they were down 2-0. That tells you all you need to know. Their losses are to New Hampshire, which is a ranked team, and that was interesting. They played New Hampshire in Miami. Same teams met last year in the second round of the NCAA tournament, and in a rain-drenched game that went 12 rounds of shootout, FIU advanced, and they said, come on back, and lost the rematch. And, oh, yeah, they've lost at number 5 Akron. Once they got into conference play, 5-1 win against Temple, road win against Memphis, FIU is outstanding. The Bulls, last year at home, had a memorable 3-3 tie. And, yeah, a tie would actually be a good result for the Bulls tonight. But if you want to get that... At large profile built up, you're going to have to start winning some of these games. Next one is at Tulsa next week, then they come home to play Charlotte. This is just a brutal stretch of the schedule. Be on the air at six o'clock from the Yingling Center tonight. Actually, volleyball is there Saturday at two as well. We won't bring you that match because, well, that's when our pregame for football starts. But the opponent is two and 13 UAB. Granted, the Blazers nearly knocked off East Carolina in five sets in their most recent match, winning the fourth 26-24. They've been to five sets six times, as many times as they've been swept, so maybe 2-13. and 13, A little misleading, but the injury-riddled Bulls, 2-1 and one in the conference, 8-6 and six overall, still without second-leading hitter Amanda DeWitt. Also, freshman standout libero Leah Schneider, although Maya Thomas has done great in her stead nikki Kashatafe, the backup middle is also out due to injury so the bulls fortunately are a deep team and we'll have the coverage for you again hitting the air at six o'clock tonight on bulls unlimited tennis courts will be busy and full of women's players the bedford cup hosted by usf play began at 9 a.m on friday you got players from some high-end schools try florida state try ucf Plenty from around the state, FIU, FAU, Stetson, FGCU, UNF, all the initials, FAMU, and, of course, your South Florida Bulls. So we'll have a full weekend of that to recap for you right here on Monday's program. But that'll wrap up this one. I'm Derek Sharp. Back to the beat. Bulls beat continues with Derek Sharp. After this show ends and a couple more times, we'll replay the only time that, and I know the game is not at Raymond James Stadium this week, but – The only time that the Bulls beat Navy was at Raymond James, and it was memorable. Don't miss the first half of the replay. Second half you can miss if you want to, because the Bulls scored 42 points in the first half and just 10 the rest of the way. They almost went a perfect 7-for-7 in scintillating fashion on offense, scored on their first six drives, and three of the first four took 70 seconds or less. One was a one-play, 85-yard run by Marlon Mack but they also got down to the one-yard line at the end of the half and fumbled, or else it would have been 49. It was 42-14 to 14 instead, ended up being 52-45, to 45 as former Newsome Wolf, Will Worth, got their offense going. But the Bulls kind of had a lead to deal with. So let's hope it's similar this Saturday. Something tells me it won't be that lopsided, but whatever happens, we'll have it for you. We had women's soccer last night on the channel. We'll give you a recap and a preview of what's coming up for men's soccer tonight. And the match that we'll have for you live, volleyball. But yeah, I was able to attend the women's basketball practice on Wednesday and then yesterday with Amir Abdulrahim's first workout for the men's squad. We'll get there in a second. And if you are familiar with the women's basketball program, you know who they have coming back. One of the nation's top three-point shooters in Sammy Puisa's point guard, Ariel Wilson. Good to see Maria. Alvarez back in her familiar role of shooting the threes. Actually, saw her make a couple two point shots. I think those are going to be your starting guards, at least for the start. Marina Asensio, who was fantastic as a freshman backup point guard, will definitely push. Carla Brito, who looks like she's in incredible shape, will be probably the power forward. And I'm guessing Emma Johansson. Bulls are definitely going to miss Dulce Fancomingiadu underneath. You can't replace her. And I don't think the Bulls are going to look for too much scoring out of the five position. Or really, I should say too much scoring underneath because Emma Johansson, who plays the five, can pop out and hit the three. But Evelyn Shipholt, I think, is going to be your backup center. She's a transfer from Cal. Now, she did start pretty much every game for the Bears last year in her senior season. Good defensive player, and you can tell she has some leadership qualities. And it's funny, every year you get to see some of these freshmen from Europe. You can see the talent, and you can tell they're trying to feel their way. Although, i got to tell you, Judith Valero looks like she's very confident, and she can shoot the lights out. She is one of the two Judits that have been added to the roster. They now have four Spaniards and two named Judith. Just to easily tell them apart, Valero wears number 11 and is a guard, and Judith Oliva is a 6'2 power forward. I think Danny Gonzalez might not necessarily always play the four because you also have Laura Putu, a 6'2 transfer from Eastern Florida State College, who looks like a solid board getter. And again, she can finish around the rim, I think. If she and Shipholt can just do that, along with Valero... Bulls aren't going to ask for their post players to score a bunch, just be able to clean up some rebounds and score reliably. Another freshman guard they call Vicky, Vittoria Blesi from Italy. You could tell she could shoot the ball. Romy Levy, she's actually tallest on the team along with Johansson at six foot three, but she's more of a wing and showed surprising handle. So good group. I know Jose Fernandez is fond of his squad and thinks are going to be really good, and I will not disagree with that. Now, I only saw the last 45 minutes of Amir Abdurrahim's first practice, and I know they practiced offense, but not a single cent of it while I was there. It was conditioning. It was defense. I think defense is going to be a calling card of this team, and don't worry about pressure free throws. I happened to witness at the end where the free throws were for whether the team was going to run extra gassers or not, and well, they're in shape, but they're going to have to get in better shape, and I think that was the message, one of them, from a very confident, very in control, and very impressive coach, Abdur Rahim. Now, again, I didn't get to see them you know, shoot anything but free throws from an offensive standpoint, so too early to tell you what I think is going to happen there. However, just from body language and leadership looks, Brandon Stroud is going to be a guy you guys are a fan of. Six-foot-six guard, and he's one of the transfers from Kennesaw State. Who you can just tell was kind of letting the guys know what they should expect. It was not an easy practice. I'm sure the Men's Basketball Social Media Council put out some of the stuff from Amir Avdurahim. A lot of people were there to watch from the department. Everyone's excited about the men's basketball squad. For what it's worth in the conditioning stuff that I saw, one guy that was always leading the pack. 5'10", 160-pound freshman guard from New York, Jaden Reed. Very cool and casual Doesn't look like he gets tired. Chris Youngblood, another of the Kennesaw State Trier that came here. Boy, you could see he is an all-conference sort, a little confident, actually a lot confident, and that's all right. Not in a cocky way, but you can see just by his body language, he knows he's kind of one of the guys for this team. Jose Placer, transfer from UNF, who can shoot the three. I think they're going to be guard heavy. I don't know what his alignment's going to be, what his starting lineup's going to be, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's, in effect, a three-guard lineup, and like I was just talking about with the women's team. I don't know if you're going to ask for a bunch of scoring to be done underneath, but a lot of defense and a lot more names to tell you about as we progress along. Last night on Bulls Unlimited, it was a rough one for women's soccer. We told you they were tied with East Carolina for the AAC East Division lead, both teams with a win and a tie. Both teams feeling like their last timeout felt like more of a loss than it was a tie for the Bulls. It was because... They scored a goal that wasn't called a goal. No need to rehash it. It was the truth. But on East Carolina's side, they had given up a goal late and tied UAB. They were headed for their third straight one nothing win, and they would have been, well, undefeated in conference. And they've done it with defense this year. They entered this game 6-2-3, and, and the two losses were low-scoring, 2-0 losses to really high-scoring teams, Florida and Duke. So, you knew that their goalkeeper, Maeve English, their experienced defense led by, wow, is she awesome? Jasmine Ferguson, just a physical force. She also happened to lead them in goals with three coming up from corner kicks. And Lucy Fazakerly, who is a freshman from England, who, again, these guys were really impressive. But it wasn't just the back line, it was all over the field, and it was from the beginning. East Carolina did not let the Bulls get out of their own end. It's something they're used to being able to control with their defense and then move it up the field. Didn't happen last night. Bulls did play pretty well at the beginning of the second half and had many chances to tie it, but the first half really decided the fate of this game. Some near goals for East Carolina, and they finally break through. Not a lot of highlights here, but this you'll be able to tell by the way it's going is how it, well, was going last night, and the Pirates were on the better side. Oh, that's a good steal though by Schnell and the recent goal scorer. What a save by Gaillac! That was tremendous and was headed on target. She almost had one there, but Gaillac was very solid, had the near post covered. Sends it far post there from the left side. Ferguson goes up for a header, tries to put it into the realm of play, and it is, oh, headed off the crossbar by Georgia Brown. That was expertly done by the Pirates, but Brown saves the day. East Carolina came this close to scoring. Calling the this East Carolina team has played in Gainesville and in Durham against some high level competition. Coming to Tampa is not going to bother them whatsoever. And you can tell they're not bothered. Another good corner kick goes far post this time. And Gayak stretches to punch it away. Mark Vardson clears it, but only briefly out of play. Sider's going to try and get there if she can. But Abbott gets there first for East Carolina to restart. Oh, that's a good header by Brown. It was headed right to Ferguson, their three-goal score, But now, other side. That's a good ball. That's got to go in. It does, absolutely. And East Carolina finally breaks through. That was Lucy Fazakerly on the assist by Holbrook. And they had that coming. The Bulls have been on their heels for this entire first half. And there was no keeping that out of the net. That was off of their fourth corner kick, the Bulls who the last time East Carolina came to Tampa had 11 corner kicks to their two, 27 shots to their six, not the case on Thursday night. Pirates much better defensively, and again, their shots came off of pressing the Bulls into turnovers, and that was off their fourth corner kick. They outshot the Bulls 5-3 in the second half. Final count was 9-7 Bulls because they had to get the offense going. And if you were listening, you saw me point out that Denise Shelty brown and her coaching staff stayed on the field for a good four or five minutes after the first half ended trying to change their tactics, and they didn't really change the lineup too much. Corey Peace and Sarita Thurton did their best to spark the offense, and there were about three would-be chances, but the Bulls just were not connecting. Pirates actually had a lot more chances to score in this game and deserve the win, frankly. Two-nothing was the final score. They got a penalty kick, which was kind of an iffy call. Jasmine Ferguson, who, again, is their leading scorer all off of coming up on corner kicks, and this was one. She got shoved in the back for sure, but the ball was over her head, A. She wasn't going to get to it. B, a lot of that stuff was getting let go, but when you don't score a goal, it really doesn't matter that the other team might have gotten a benefit from a whistle, To make it 2-0, that indeed is the final score. So the Bulls get jumped by Charlotte, which played last place Temple. The Bulls now tied with FAU, which was tied up by UAB for third in the division. Their next match is against UAB on the road. And the Blazers have gone three wins into American play and have tied them all. So that will not be easy. Bulls will probably work on their offensive attack. It seems to jump up at the wrong times. They, in their last three games, have been shut out. And then, of course, scored the two goals against Gonzaga, but that was in a five-minute stretch to start off the second half. Now, they needed that stretch to win the game, granted, but basically three games, and you take away those five minutes and no goals for the squad, which is 5-5-1. Five, five, and one. And like the men, most likely are going to have to go the full conference tournament championship route to get into the NCAA tournament. I know we said that about the men last year, but... They went on a five-match winning streak, and, well, the schedule is there for that to happen, if they can start it tonight against FIU. But, wow, what a difficult stretch for Bob Butehorn's team. FIU comes in 4-2-2. Two, two. They've got a win at Oregon State. They've got a tie at UCF 2-2, two two, where they were down 2-0. That tells you all you need to know. Their losses are to New Hampshire, which is a ranked team, and that was interesting. They played New Hampshire in Miami. Same teams met last year in the second round of the NCAA tournament, and in a rain-drenched game that went 12 rounds of shootout, FIU advanced, and they said, come on back, and lost the rematch. And oh yeah, they've lost at number five, Akron. Once they got into conference play, 5-1 win against Temple, road win against Memphis. FIU is outstanding. The Bulls, last year at home, had a memorable 3-3 tie. And yeah, a tie would actually be a good result for the Bulls tonight, but if you want to get that at-large profile built up, you're going to have to start winning some of these games. The next one is at Tulsa next week. Then they come home to play Charlotte. This is just a brutal stretch of the schedule. Be on the air at 6 o'clock from the Yingling Center tonight. Actually, volleyball is there Saturday at 2 as well. We won't bring you that match because, well, that's when our pregame for football starts. But the opponent is 2-13 and 13 UAB. Granted, the Blazers nearly knocked off East Carolina in five sets in their most recent match, winning the fourth 26-24. They've been to five sets six times, as many times as they've been swept, so maybe 2-13. and 13, A little misleading, but the injury-riddled Bulls, 2-1 in the conference, 8-6 overall, still without second-leading hitter Amanda DeWitt. Also, freshman standout libero Leah Schneider, although Maya Thomas has done great in her stead nikki Kashatafe, the backup middle is also out due to injury so the bulls fortunately are a deep team and we'll have the coverage for you again hitting the air at six o'clock tonight on bulls unlimited tennis courts will be busy and full of women's players the bedford cup hosted by usf play began at 9 a.m on friday you got players from some high-end schools try florida state try ucf plenty from around the state, FIU, FAU, Stetson, FGCU, UNF, all the initials, FAMU, and of course, your South Florida Bulls. So we'll have a full weekend of that to recap for you right here on Monday's program. But that'll wrap up this one. I'm Derek Sharp.